0: I'm Patricia Leonard for those of you who don't know me I'm on the women's ministry team and I get to read Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 33 from the ESV I'm thinking that it's gonna come up there for you too Uh, okay submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church however Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband
1: Thanks Patricia This is God's word this morning Good morning I'm uh, the mat that Brandon, Pastor Brandon referred to, group's director here. Glad you're here this morning as we take on a light, airy, fluffy subject of marriage. Uh, actually, I'm honored and uh, privileged to get to speak about this. It's something very near and dear to my heart. Let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you because we need you. We ask for your presence. We ask for the power of your spirit. We ask that your word would do a work in us as your spirit changes us from the inside out. We're here to hear what you have to say, Lord. Pray that you'd use your word to do it now. In your name, Jesus, amen. Do you remember the days before Waze? Do you remember the days before Apple Maps? Do you remember the days of all, before all trails? How many of you remember what this is? Yes, that's right. Pulled it out of the archives, an old paper map. I wanted to use this to illustrate my journey of marriage. Sometimes pretty and not always pretty. But just play along here for a minute here. Let's just say that this represents my marriage. Right down here, my wife and I, Joni, got married, 1978. That was when dirt was young. 1978, Joni and I got married, and we began the journey of finding out who we really married. You've been there? Okay. Um, Then there's this section right here. I have this map memorized. Yep, this section right here, this is where I was really into myself, self-focused. And then that one right here, this is where I was addicted to smoking pot and smoking cigarettes. Um, Then there's the time... We could barely afford peanut butter and jelly for uh, dinners right here. Um, Here's where I started my unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Here's this major, huge intersection crash where there was infidelity. Then after that came, well, among other things, marriage classes. That was right here. That was a great uptick. Um, Here's where we fought over money. Some pretty ugly stuff. Up here, a little further north, this is where we built a house together. That was a strain on a marriage. And, well, on it goes. 44 years in two weeks. Yeah? (laughs) Well, you haven't heard what I have to say yet. I mean, I like to say that I've been married, happily married, 38 years, but I've been married 44. So you do the math and you hope those six years weren't back-to-back. And they weren't, fortunately. Thank you, Jesus. My point here in illustrating that our marriage wasn't and isn't perfect. No one's is. We may be a long way down the road, but yet we're still loving and growing and learning how to do marriage well. And if you're in marriage, I know the same story is true for you. Please allow me this morning to share some of what I've learned along the way. And most of what I share this morning comes from books, a year of Bible college, lots of counselors, mentors, pastors, and in some of the particulars this morning from a pastor named Thomas Slager, there's experience and there's a lifetime focus on how God's word, Jesus in us and his spirit can shape us and empower us to live out healthy relationships, especially in marriage. Now, you know, You don't have to watch much, hear much, swipe much, that in our world, especially in our Western culture, marriage is badly distorted. Fact is, even in the church culture, this passage we're about to look at this morning, one meant to shape and mold and truly help the direction of a marriage, has been used to distort it. And I would say in some cases, it's actually been used as a tool of abuse. And that's why I called this series, Marriage God's Way. Not my way, not your way, not the world's way, but God's way. And I know that some of you may be uncomfortable talking about marriage. For instance, you may have had a big nasty blowout fight last night, or as was the case, sometimes I had a big nasty fight on the way to church. You may be in a marriage that's stuck and you're wondering if there's still hope for you. You may have a spouse that refuses to come to church. You may be trapped in in an abusive relationship, whether verbal, sexual, emotional, or physical. There may be adultery, infidelity, pornography inside your marriage. Or you may be on the verge of calling it quits. fact is you may have even thrown that divorce word out there. Some of you have lost that love and feeling. And others, you are so glad we're talking about this because my spouse really needs to hear what you're saying, right? Well, I ask you this morning to listen with you in mind. To listen with you in mind. God's Word always speaks to us personally. We all have work to do, and when God is allowed free reign in our heart to do that work, Our lives change and that always has the huge potential of influencing others around us and before those of you that aren't married tune out and go nothing here for me this morning i assure you god's word always speaks with relevance first off we always study god's word for what's there because there's always something there for us always something relevant it's what i love about god's word Once you really realize how relevant it is, sometimes you don't like it so much because it speaks so truthfully about what we need to deal with. Second, there's going to be those of you that are considering getting married and would like to get married. But frankly, in our culture, once again, we're back to this Western world where there's a mixed bag regarding this union. For instance, in some cases, there's an inordinate fear of marriage. In other cases, there's a longing, a deep longing to be married. Resentment toward getting married Is certainly something that's out there or maybe an inordinate fantasizing about marriage and what it really is and all of those things can cloud your understanding of marriage so I'm hoping that we look at marriage through the lens of Scripture and not necessarily through your filter whether that's the filter you grew up in or the filter you've developed because of experience because if you don't you're not going to be able to make an intelligent decision about who to marry at all so for the single person I say You can apply this message, but not necessarily about getting married, but about beginning to think about your future through the lens of Scripture instead of through that past or through your own experiences or through what our culture says marriage is. The third caveat here is I know a number of you have been divorced. And as a result, you may have an inaccurate view of marriage because of what you've gone through, and that would be perfectly natural. I think, therefore, you would be looking at your future through your hard and difficult memories instead of the lens of Scripture and the way it's meant to be. And then, of course, there are those of you that are married, and you're going to be able to apply this literally and immediately. But my assurance is this. It's God's Word. And through the Holy Spirit and through the Apostle Paul this morning, there is something here for all of us. So again, I encourage you to listen with you in mind. And we start here with verse 21. Now, if you've got a tangible, physical Bible, there's a, it's possible there's a break in, that, in a section there. Also, uh, the U version, digital version, has a break in your Bible between verses 21 and 22. But that's not there in the original Greek, and that's important. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And as a letter, it's free-flowing. There are no numbered chapters. There's no chapter headings. There's no little numbers next to each of the verses. That came much later, making it easier for us to reference Scripture. This section, before the break, actually flows into the next section that we're looking at. They go together. And that's really important because at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, we didn't read that this morning, but I'm going to give you a synopsis here. Paul's beginning to talk about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in brief, the verses leading up to where we're headed, it spells out what the Spirit-filled living looks like. He says, we'll be imitators of God, walking in love, avoiding acts of impurity, avoiding foolish talk, making the best use of our time, discerning what pleases God, not getting drunk, giving thanks, and a number of other things, but then he uses verse 21 to segue into verse 22. So verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is saying that if you're going to walk in the power of the Spirit, if you're going to commit to doing the things he just talked about and the things he's about to talk about, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit in you to submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Of course, Paul is talking about selflessness. Not a word thrown around in our culture. We worship the I, me, my God. Paul is talking about selflessness that's taking yourself out of the center of the picture and putting another's needs ahead of yours. And doing that as an act of reverence. Obedience to Jesus. Submitting one another out of reverence so we start with the most fundamental action you can take in your marriage verse 21 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because here's the main thing that I think we could all listen to this point leave here and know we've got a lot a lot of work to do self-centeredness is the main problem in any marriage divorce begins when one person begins to be more selfish than the other Self-centeredness is the main enemy. It's the main cancer of any marriage. And Paul is assuming here that his reader knows that the ability to submit to another person takes the Holy Spirit of God. It's the person walking in the power of the Spirit who's able to get out of the way of being self-centered and can focus on another's need. And this is the basis. This is the basis for everything else he says about marriage think about that. That's a lot of work on just our part. And by the way, this doesn't mean that only Christians can have a successful marriage, which is something I can't really get into now. But what it is saying is that a person who has a happy marriage is being helped by God somehow, some way, because they may not know it, but it's impossible for you to live a non-self-centered life apart from the influence of God. I mean, Jesus in John Chapter 15.5 says that without him, we Christians, let alone mankind, can do nothing. It's God's image on us. It's God's influence on us. I mean, think about it. Even your next breath, whether you're a believer or not, is a gift of God. So our first clarion call is this. Self-centeredness is the main cancer, the main problem in any marriage. And I don't think this is any New information for us, right? When I was sitting where you are and heard this for the first time, I agreed, yeah. But inside, I was yelling at the pastor, what do I do about that? How do I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? The short answer, cherish your relationship with Jesus. Nurture it. Stay in his word. Commit yourself to prayer and be in the community of believers often. The next verse, verse 22, and where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, starts with the wives. Next week, I'll be kicking around addressing husbands. So verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In this context, this has nothing to do with the roles or the functions of women in the church. In this context, this verse has nothing to do with who is more or less gifted. In fact, I'd go on to say that the 1st I'd be the first one to admit that my wife is more gifted than I am in many areas. This also has nothing to do with intelligence. Again, I would think many of us men in the church would be wise to say to our wife that they are far more intelligent than we are in many areas. In this context, submission has nothing to do with who is more emotionally balanced. Because guys, if we're honest, our emotions, we either stuff them and stonewall, which is an emotion, or we blurt them inappropriately at times that we wreck and destroy relationships. This verse is not about who has a greater value in a relationship. It speaks to the roles that God has given each of us to fulfill the purpose he has in marriage. And he has a bright and glorious purpose for marriage. It represents the bridegroom of Christ. Ladies, as I say this, our text, the role of the wife is to submit to their husband. Don't stop listening. There's a lot here for you. There are four things this does not mean. There are two things that it does. So, first, this does not mean that a wife is unequal. Submission does not mean that a wife is not equal. Somehow, this verse has been twisted to where role and function negate equality. It does not. We remain equal with different roles, we complement each other through those roles. It's in John 13 we get a great example. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. The lowest task, the lowest servant on the totem pole would normally do that. Here's Jesus washing his disciples' feet. In that moment, was he unequal to them? Was he unequal to God, for that matter? Was he less than? No. He showed strength in his humility, still fully God. Still fully man, not less than. I another great example in John chapter 1, verse 1. The book of John starts off with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word being synonymous with Jesus. So here's God and Jesus synonymous, right? Jump down to verse 14. It says, The Word, Jesus, equal to God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his crucifixion, Jesus is there fervently praying to his Father, and he says, Father, if there's no other way for the forgiveness of sin to be washed away than my shed blood and me going to the cross, then not my will, but yours be done. Jesus and the Father equal. But Jesus submitted His will to the Father. Were they unequal in that moment? Never. Roles and function do not mean that we are unequal. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul, the same writer as Ephesians, Paul in Galatians here, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what a huge statement Paul is saying in that culture? Let alone our culture for that matter. There aren't all these quality distinctions. We are equal. Different roles. But we are equal. Are we the same? (laughs) You don't have to be married long to know that ain't true. We are very different. But we are equal. So submission does not mean that the wife is unequal. Second, Submission does not mean that a wife must always agree with her husband or do what he says. It's in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles are going throughout Jerusalem and Judea and they're preaching the good news of Jesus. And the religious leaders pull them aside and say, you have to stop preaching in Jesus' name. They even throw them in prison. And they have a choice, honor Jesus or honor the authorities. And most of you know Peter's response, it's recorded for us in Acts five twenty-nine. He says, we must obey God rather than men. Wives, there should never be a time or a situation where you feel like your husband's forcing you to go against what the Bible says. Your first obligation, your first love, your first priority is and always will be Jesus. You don't cheat on your taxes because he says so. You don't say something untrue to your neighbor so that it makes him look good or because he told you to. In fact, one time when uh, Joni was on the phone and I hear who she's talking to, I go, tell him I'm not home. Wisely, she said that I wasn't taking calls at this time. Hung up the phone and looked at me and said, I will not be lying for you. Bravo, Joni. Submission does not mean a wife must always agree with her husband or do what he says. Third, submission does not mean a wife does not have influence over her husband. I take you to 1 Peter 3.1. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives. If you would describe your husband as one who does not obey the word or doesn't know Jesus or doesn't know the Lord or does not honor God, here's what he says. That they may be one without a word by the conduct of the wives. The word one here is the idea of influence, strong influence. You ladies... Wives, you possess the power, the influence to win your husband to Jesus. Submission does not mean you lack influence. Fact is, I would go as far as to say submission actually means you should use your role to influence him toward godliness. Of course, with gentleness and respect. You are not less than. You are equal. And you should be using your equality to influence him towards love in the Lord. Now, if you're doubting in your heart right now because you're in a very difficult situation that this is possible, take heart. I am that man. My wife's influence on my life more than 30 years ago now influenced my life so heavily based on the way she followed Christ. It led me to rethink and reevaluate A life that I could not justify as loving, sacrificial, or long-lasting. Okay, last of the not list, number four. Submission does not mean a wife should ever live in fear of her husband. Submission does not mean a wife should ever live in fear of her husband. I'll quote to you 1 John 4.18. There is no love in fear. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this is talking about the love Jesus has towards us and why we shouldn't have an inordinate fear about God toward Jesus. Why? Because when it comes to God and to Jesus, there is no fear in love, and that's our point. True love, there is no fear in love. Wives, if you are in a place where you feel unsafe because you're being abused physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually, whatever it is, I want to tell you here and now, we, the staff, the lay leaders of Life Church, we're here for you. I know that sounds like a platitude coming from a platform, but we may not have all the answers and we may not have an immediate solution, but if you need help, will you let us help you? If you don't tell us, we can't help. Now, I know there are going to be things like you may need a place to go. We'll find you a place to go. You may need someone to talk to your husband. We'll talk to your husband. And I understand you probably won't be comfortable coming to me. Fact is, I would even go as far as to say don't come to me. A woman going to another woman is going to be best. And you saw two of our ministry team up here in the uh, women's ministry team in the announcements. Kayleen Abate and Jenna Hall pastor's wife. Uh, The gal, Patricia, who read scripture for us this morning. She's another one who's also not only on our women's ministry team, she also works with our Celebrate Recovery groups. Approach them. Let them know because they're going to get us the information that we need to know to take the next step. And of course, we will do it with as much discretion as necessary. Just let us know. Submission does not mean a wife should ever have to live in fear of her husband. Okay, now i got to jump on this hand grenade. Uh, What does submission mean? Well, I'm going to blame it on uh, John Piper. I found his definition. I'm going to use that. John Piper, if you don't know, is pastor, teacher, author, uh, great man of God. His definition reads like this. Submission is the divine calling of a wife Divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership, to help him carry it through according to her gifts. Notice two parts here. The first one is submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. And the second part, to help him carry it through according to her gifts. With that fresh in mind, we return to our scripture passage, verse 23. We're going to see this idea of affirming leadership. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he, Jesus, is the Savior. Now, this word, head, throughout the Old Testament, whenever it comes up, it is talking about a position where A is head over a position, B, and that again goes back to roles. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. Now keep in mind, husbands, side note, the basis of this passage is not control, it's love. The head of the household is working in love. We'll address this in detail next week when we focus on husbands. For me, the challenging part about speaking to a group about marriage is that every marriage is different. I know that. So no matter how many examples or stories or scenarios that I give you, you're always going to find that things may not work that way in your marriage. There's always going to be some of you that can't see how any of this is going to work in your marriage. And I know that some of you right now are thinking, my husband isn't even a believer, or he isn't living like one, and he's the head over me. I want to point you back to 1 Peter 3.1, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is you honoring and affirming your husband's leadership where you can, when you can. Jesus is asking you to be the light in your world, in your home, using your life as an influence. This is part of how Jesus draws all of us closer to God, to himself. We have to depend more on him the deeper we get into challenges like this, to be more Christ-like. When verse 24 goes on to say, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I point you back to what submission is and what submission is not. And again, it's where you can and when you can, you honor and affirm your husband's leadership. And I want to address a really important condition on all of this. When Paul says the husband's the head of the wife, husband's head of the home, I caution you not to read into this passage what is not their husband's. For instance, this isn't saying... The husband's head of the home, that means he manages the checkbook, he oversees all things financial in the house. This isn't say, saying that husbands get to demand sexual favors whenever they want. This is not saying that they lord it over their wife. Go back to the things we talked about that are not submission. Where Joni and I, if you don't know, my wife's name is Joni, so its like, kept referring to this woman, I don't know who she was. Where Joni and I benefit, benefit most in this is when we find a balance between our skills, between our gifts, between our talents. For instance, I would be foolish, truly, I would be foolish if Joni didn't handle our books and oversee a lot of our financial transactions because she's really gifted in it. However... As I mentioned before, this isn't one size fits all. The thing I'll point out here is things like the running of the household are not in this passage. Those are things left for us to figure out on a case-by-case basis. However, it does say wives, submit to the authority of your husband. So just as an example, in case you're saying, okay, what does that look like? What What would it look like in my family? If you were to ask my wife, what does it mean for Matt to lead our family? What does it look like for him to be the authority? She would tell you, (laughs) he's not in charge. Um, No, she would say that she looks to me for the big decisions. That is, big decisions ultimately rest on my shoulders. And I would be quick to add, I would tell you that I wouldn't and I don't consider any decision that impacts our entire home without her input without her wisdom, without her influence. Again, I would, of course, consult her. She's an amazing woman of God. When we had kids in the house, I was the primary disciplinarian. If our kids really messed up, I would deal with it. Husbands, we are to be the spiritual leader in our homes. That's the role God has given us. Now wait, my wife did, at the same time, make major decisions in our home. We worked that out. She did discipline and disciple our kids, and that's where she really supported as a team when it came to coaching our kids on what it looked like by words and deed, what it was to follow Jesus. And all of this is to emphasize that she looks to me as the leader of our home, and that's the first part of submitting and acknowledging and affirming the leadership and authority of a husband. And I know your home may look very different, but here's where you have to lean on Jesus inside the heart stuff. If your home doesn't look like that, if it's in disarray, and the leadership and the roles are out of whack, if you're wrestling with that in your home right now, wives, write this down. It's not in your notes. Actually, it's something God gave me just yesterday. It's really encouraging. It's 2 Chronicles. That's in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 16:9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. If you're in deep doo-doo in your marriage and you are crying out to him, he assures you he's watching. He will strengthen you as you commit yourself to following him. We move on now to the second part of our definition of submission, helping and supporting your husband. We go all the way back to the first part of the Bible, Genesis, in the beginning, in this case, chapter 2, verse 18. All the animals have been created. Adam realizes there's no suitable mate for him. We pick it up in verse 18. God speaking says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a suitable helper. Now, keep in mind, this is before anything went wrong. This is before sin went into the world. This is a perfect world. And a perfect relationship is about to be born when God says, this man needs a helper. <laughs> this guy needs help. Husbands, God has given you a helper in your wife. And I have found that Joni is a complement to the many things that I lack and vice versa. For instance, when we did our spiritual gifts, mine were up front working with people um, like teaching and encouraging and Basically, in front, people to people things. Joni's was discernment, administration, gift of faith, kind of behind the scenes activities. Not complete opposites, but different and complementary. Our love languages mine is words of affirmation and touch, hers are acts of service and quality time. We don't speak the same language. 44 years later, we don't speak the same language. It's work. But God has put us together to complement each other and to help fill in some of those gaps. Husbands, God has given you a helper in your wife, and I hope in the very near future you will look her straight in the eye with all the sincerity you can muster, say, I need your help. My wife has rounded me out in ways I couldn't do on my own. So, summary. Submission is acknowledging and affirming the leadership and authority of your husband, and helping and supporting him when you can, where you can. For all believers, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, this chapter we're in, Paul sets up and sets before us the highest standard in the world. Verse 1, be imitators of God. Go on do that. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love always involves sacrifice. Sacrifice is difficult because it involves what we talked about at the early part of all this. Verse 21, submitting to one another, not being self-centered. It's a lot of work, but that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed his position in heaven. He sacrificed his life for ours. And in the same way that God had an ultimate plan for his son, that included sacrifice and going to the cross, God knows what he's doing in your life. And he knows what he's doing in your marriage. And there is purpose in all of this. And the sacrifices that he's asking you to make, that self-sacrifice... Well, I can tell you, Jesus has used it in my marriage to draw me closer to him, to live for him. And as a result, his power in me has given me a greater ability to love my wife. Perfectly? Far from it. Better than before? Yeah. This is what I discovered. God matched me with a person to bring out the best in me and to show me how much he loves me. But, get this, God also matched me with a person that will bring out the worst in me. And that's to show me where he wants me to grow. And I believe, no prophet here, but I believe I can say God has matched you with a person to bring out the best in you and the worst in you, to show you his love and to grow you into the image of his son. Can you receive that? I have grown as a person closer to Jesus because Joni and I, over the years, have had this great highs of love, enjoyment, and because we've had serious conflict that had to be resolved. And we're not done. None of us are. Now, the caveat in all of this, Jesus must be at the center of your life. Remember back at the beginning, I said, listen to this message with you in mind. Healthy relationships are built on your strong relationship with Jesus. You are not able to change the other person in your relationship. I almost want to make you say that together. You cannot change the other person in your relationship. Only Jesus can do that. You work on you focused on Jesus. I pulled out John 15, 5 because I believe it's the most important thing and best thing that we can do to work on you, to work on me. Jesus says, John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me cherishes that relationship and I in him, letting God work in you, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing spiritually. Nothing long-lasting. Nothing into the kingdom. Cherish your relationship with Jesus. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, that takes a simple step of faith. Asking Jesus to come into your life doesn't mean you're going to understand it all. Rather, Simply, you want to know God, and you want to grow closer to him. Jesus, God's son, is the way to do that. He died on the cross to take away everything you've ever done wrong, the sin. And now he offers his free gift of forgiveness, salvation, eternal life with him, then and now, life to the full. And all you have to do is simply ask him into your life to begin to change you from the inside out. And if you decide to do that this morning through a simple prayer. Don't leave here without letting us know about that. Whether it's one of our lay leaders, somebody in the worship team, me, one of the, kid, one of the leaders in um, children's ministry, because we want to help you in this newfound faith. We want to help you on this next step in your journey with Jesus. There's always a next step, whether you're just stepping into a relationship or been walking with him forever. There's always something next. Before we take communion, Wives, ladies, I want to close with one of my favorite stories. And if you've been going here a long time, you've heard it before, because it's one of my favorites. But it illustrates what you can do, whether you're in a good marriage or a difficult one. This story comes from the autobiography of actor, director, producer, author Stephen Baldwin. And his wife, co-wrote Kenya Baldwin. Okay, so Our story, I'm going to try and make it short. Our story starts with our focus on the wife, Kenya Baldwin. She's from Brazil. She's hired a Brazilian housekeeper. And over time, Kenya, from Brazil, couldn't help notice that her housekeeper was so full of joy. And she was always going around the house cleaning and singing Christian worship music in her native Portuguese language, which, of course, she noticed. Kenya and Augusta her housekeeper, talked often about Jesus. And soon Kenya recognized she needed Jesus in her life. So she shared the good news with her husband, Stephen, that she'd become a Christian. And he says he was happy for her because he saw joy and life change that came into her life. But in his own words, he said, "Eh, it wasn't for me, but he was happy for her. Now, one of the habits that Kenya developed early on in her new relationship with Jesus was to get out of bed every morning and get into this fetal-like position on the floor and stay there for about an hour. Stephen, curious about this new behavior, uh, asked her one day, what are you doing there? She goes, I'm praying. Again, Stephen says he was happy for her. Now, our story turns to the husband, Stephen Baldwin. He tells the story about his career at that time. He says, I'm on top of the world. I'm not doing drugs. I love my wife. My acting career is going amazing. I'm getting new opportunities to direct and produce movies. He said, everything's going great. He said, except I started worrying about what my wife was really getting into, this fanaticism. So to do his own little research, he goes and talks to the pastor, her pastor her church. And the pastor explains the gospel message to Stephen and asks, is this something you want to do, Stephen? And he says, "Uh, yeah, no, but thanks. Meanwhile, Kenya, the wife, is growing in her new faith, continuing to be on the floor in prayer, making new friends at church, and time moves on. Stephen says that he watches his wife grow in her new faith, And in that, he's beginning to feel more and more unease within himself that something was missing. To make a long story shorter, about a year passes, and Stephen's unrest intensifies to where he knows he needs something else in his life. And he says one night, he finds himself in Malibu Canyon, standing on top of a rock, going, God, what do you want? He ends up going back, talking to Kenya's pastor, and this time, after hearing about what Jesus did for him on the cross, he gives his life to Jesus. And that night, he shares with Kenya about his newfound faith, and there is great celebration. The very next day, Kenya wakes up, hops out of bed, runs down the hall toward the kitchen, and Stephen calls after, her, "Hey, where are you going?" She turns around, and says, "I'm going to make us a celebration breakfast." He goes, uh, "I was, uh, I was going to, what?" If, What about the thing getting down on the floor and praying God, I was going to join you in that this morning? She says, oh, that. Well, I told God that I would be on my face before him in prayer for an hour every day praying for you until you invited Jesus into your life. And that happened. Don't ever estimate, underestimate the power of God to change an unwilling heart I'm that man. There are many in this room. Guys, as an act of support and encouragement to others, how many here were an unwilling man who God got a hold of and now follows Jesus? Never underestimate how prayer can change you, the way you look at the the things he's doing in your life and the world around you. Let's pray. Lord, I think when it comes to relationships, when sin came into the world, it got so messed up. And relationships are messy. And Lord, we need your help in those things. Would you help us now? We recognize that without you, our relationships are not gonna go well because it's gonna all be based on how our relationship with you is going well. How much are we truly denying ourselves? How much are we truly sacrificing, picking up our cross every day and following you? Help us, oh man, we need that, Lord. I pray over the marriages presented in this room and ask that you help us take the next step of living for you by sacrificing ourselves for others. And it's in your precious name, amen. Before we take communion, you heard in my prayer what I ask you to think about. What's God doing in your heart right now? How are your relationships? Inside marriage, outside marriage? Where can we improve? Where is it that we can submit more? Where can we get out of the center of attention more? Let's ask God to do a work in us before we thank him for what he did on the cross.